0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. We're studying the book of Romans and learning how the power of the gospel impacts every part of our lives. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hey, guys, welcome back to our study of the book of Romans as we continue in Romans chapter 7 just about midway in the chapter, verse number, well, we'll pick it up at verse number 11. I think we actually ended there yesterday. Hey, have you ever heard the term testiphony? (laughs) I remember the first time I ever heard that, testiphony. It's a testimony that you know isn't really true. People get up and give a testimony, but it's, they just, It's just a a grandstand. They want to make themselves look good. They want to make themselves the hero of the story. It's really not a testimony. It's a testiphony. I love that term. Here in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is not giving a testiphony. He's giving a testimony. Why? Because he's telling the truth about himself and about his struggles and about the struggles that all of us have with sin, with defeat and failure, with the frustration of wanting to live for God, but oftentimes feeling as if we're falling short. Uh, how do we reconcile all of this? And what what is the answer? Is there hope for victory in the Christian life? And I think you know the answer to that. We've been talking about it. And of course, the answer is emphatically yes. And we are going to look at a section today that really helps us to see what doesn't work so that ultimately we can see what does work, or better said, who does work. So look at Romans chapter 7 and verse number 11, where the Bible says, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. So we talked a bit Last episode about the deceitfulness of sin and how sin will lie to us about what it advertises, about what it promises. It will make excuses for us. It will falsely claim that we are the exemption to the rule when it comes to the consequences of sin. And I think we spent some time, enough time on that last episode. Look at verse number 12, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So just because the law tells on us, just because the law shines its light upon all of the dark corners and crevices of our life, doesn't mean that the law is bad. In fact, the law is good. Uh, Paul said something very similar to Timothy in the book of First Timothy in chapter one when he said that the false teachers didn't understand the law. They desired to be teachers of the law, but they understood neither what they said nor whereof they affirmed. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the unrighteous. And so what's the point? The point is, Paul said, the purpose of the law always was to detect sin, not to reform from sin. The law was never a standard that could be met. The law was never a means of righteousness. No, the law was always and ever that spotlight that showed us that we did need righteousness. And if we were going to get it, it would have to be from another source. So the law is right. I like the way one commentator said it. The law is right, but the law has no might. The law is right; it reflects the perfect standards of God and His character. But it has no might; it can't do anything for us. Uh, the law of sin that wars in our members—it uh, is—is it has might. Boy, sometimes we feel overpowered by sinful desires. But it is not right. So it's the opposite of the law of God. The law of God has has is right, but has no might. And then the law of sin has might, but it is not right. And Jesus is the one who is right and has might. And we'll talk about how that fits in here in just a moment. Look at verse number 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me? Okay. So if the law is good, if it's holy, if it's right, then did God use a good thing to to, um, indict me to put me to death to punish me. And and that's not true either. The law's purpose was not to give us no hope, but the law's purpose was to show us that we are in a position where we desperately need hope. So in that sense, the law is, is right, but it's also not that which is negatively putting us to death. Okay. Does that make sense? Look at verse number 13, so was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. Now perish that thought. But sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So again, the law isn't what kills me. No, the law is what shows me what kills me. <laughs> And what kills me? Sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And so in that sense, the law showed me just how sick I am. As a doctor, the law showed me just how terminal my case was, that I am terminally ill and that I will die and that's what sin produces. So the law made sin exceeding sinful in a couple ways. First of all, in that now we can see the depth of the sin uh, that we live. That's why the, the law was added because of all of the transgressions of God's people and God said, I'm going to show you just how bad you are. I mean, when the light comes on, you see more of what's wrong. That's why men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. But the the second sense in which it's exceeding sinful is that the law itself, the prohibition, provokes a rebellious heart towards sin. So uh, don't eat of that tree. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't look at that. A lot of times, those prohibitions to a rebellious heart make us say well no that's exactly what i am going to do you can't tell me what to do such as the nature of man's rebellion that's why i think a legalistic environment is not accomplishing what it purports to accomplish you know, people that live their whole life their whole christian life based upon rules based christianity and um, and punishment and and turning each other in and living by all of these man-made rules. That's why ultimately it doesn't work. Why? Because when we are not yielded to the spirit, when we are not captured by his grace, when we are simply trying to measure up, then there a religious pride forms. But not only that, the prohibition itself becomes almost an incentive to do what you're being told not to do. Okay, for instance, if I said to you, don't think about a big black snake. Don't do it. Don't think about a big black snake. Don't think about it. Don't think about it at all. I don't want you to have that in your mind. A big, black, slithering, poisonous snake. Don't think about it. Now, The fact is, by me telling you not to think about it, it's causing you to do nothing but think about it. Sometimes we do that with uh, our demands to measure up to the law through righteous living. You know, don't look at that. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. And sometimes the people with the highest standards have the lowest morality. And sometimes in some of the most strict environments, the proliferation of sexual sin and lust and things like that are are that much more pronounced. Why? Because the law is making sin more exceedingly sinful because it's challenging and and incentivizing, provoking a rebellious, sinful heart. I hope that made sense. Look at verse number 14. For we know— that the law is spiritual. So the law is a good thing. We've already established that. But I, Paul testifies, uh, I am carnal, sold under sin. You know, I feel as if, you know, me, myself, my own human efforts, my attempts in my flesh through my own efforts to live righteously is a complete failure, It's not the law's fault. The law's fault is showing me what a failure I am. It's the videotape on my life showing me how bad my life is, but I am carnal. I'm sold under sin for what, and and here's how he explains that. Here's an explanation, Paul says, of my efforts to live a righteous life by the law, by my effort in the law. Now, let me just take one step back and say, what would be the result of your effort to keep the law in order to be justified? Well, you would agree with me, you would never achieve that goal. You would end up dying and going to hell. Why? Because a man cannot be justified by the works of the law. As hard as you tried, as many new leafs as you turned over, uh, you, as many redos as you had, you would never be one that measured up. So, why do we think that we can't measure up for justification that somehow, now that we're saved, we have to live by these these, the law in order to be righteous? No, we don't live for righteousness in order to be righteous. We live from righteousness because we are declared to be righteous by God in Jesus Christ. So When Paul is testifying here in Romans chapter 7, he is testifying of the futility of human effort to measure up to God's standards and God's law. And watch how he says it. Verse number 15. For that which I do, I allow not. So in other words, the way that I'm living, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't, understand how I'm, I'm living this way. Now, what way was he living? Well, look, look at verse number, verse number 15 again, for what I would, that do I not. So here's one thing that is perplexing about schizophrenic to use that term about my life. Said the apostle Paul seems like sometimes the things I really want to do, I'm not doing. And he's talking here about the things that are right to do, the things that are priority to do, the things that are spiritual to do. It seems like the things that I want to do, I I have this desire, but I don't follow through. You ever feel that way? Then it says in verse number 15, but what I hate, that I do. That do I. So conversely, there are things I really know I'm supposed to be doing. I want to do them, but I don't do them. And then the things that I knew I shouldn't have said that, and I I don't want to be that way, but I end up doing those things. See, that's the powerlessness of the flesh. That's the powerlessness of human effort outside of the power of God. Look at verse number 16. If then I do that, which I would not. So if I'm actually living this way, if, if I'm doing the things that I don't want to do, that I know I'm not supposed to do, then he says, I consent unto the law that it is good. Really what I'm tacitly saying is I'm saying, I testify that the law itself is good. It's right, it reflects that standards, at the standard, and what I'm doing is I'm testifying that I can't keep it. I can't do it. I don't measure up. I am a failure, and that is frustrating. Therefore, it's all futile. Boy, that's a sad place to be. And yet, that's what legalism produces. It produces one of two attitudes in people. Either, number one, it makes you a Pharisee that begins to invent achievable, high and achievable human standards by which you then can look down on others a lens through which you can look at the behavior of others. And what does legalistic Phariseeism produce? It produces loopholes because you know that you can't really live that way. So you live with loopholes. What does it, what else does it produce? It produces secrecy, Because you know that you can't live that way all the time, so you have to have secret compartments in your life, and you can only post certain things and say certain things and talk to certain people, and you've got to be really, really sneaky and careful. The legalistic Pharisee does. Why? Because he's got to maintain this image of a higher standard than everybody else. So what does a legalistic approach to Christianity produce? Phariseeism that is both secret and full of loopholes— or number two, it just produces desperation. Like I'll never live this way. Why even try? So I'll just go the opposite way. Why even try to be holy? Why even try to live the Christian life? Why even try to serve God? I'll just kind of, I'm will just i just going to give into licentiousness. Those are the two ditches, right? Legalism on the right, licentiousness on the left, instead of understanding what true liberty is. And that's where we're going to in this chapter. So I'm out of time. I feel like I just scratched the the surface, but we're going to come back to verse number 17. Next time, we'll work our way all the way to the end of the chapter. And wow, what a powerful end to next podcast. Don't miss it. I'll see you there. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, take a moment to subscribe or share the podcast with a friend. Until next time, God bless.